It's time to turn down the noise and tune in to News You Can Use, the show that gives you a quick insight into the latest twists and turns in healthcare news, where every diagnosis comes with an order of side-splitting humor. Your hosts are Dr. Nick, a longtime host, innovator, and healthcare wizard who can prescribe a digital dose of innovation to cure even the most ailing operational inefficiencies. And Dr. Craig Joseph, the healthcare guru who can diagnose both patient and software glitches with equal precision, making sure hospitals run smoother than a well-oiled robot dock. So buckle up, because we're diving into the ER of excitement, the ICU of irrationality, and the waiting room of wacky wisdom. Now here's Dr. Nick and Dr. Craig. Welcome to the month of October. I'm Dr. Nick. And I'm Dr. Craig. This week, we'll be dissecting the latest healthcare news, unraveling the twists and turns, and making sense of some of those debacles. Just remember, life's a lot like a breaking news story. Unpredictable, often absurd, and occasionally leaves you wondering if it's all just a cosmic prank. This week, we take a look at ChatGPT for a change. It got a voice. It's actually speaking. It's going to be exciting for everyone, I'm sure. We're going to talk about some new blood tests for kids to diagnose infections and a proposed Healthcare is Hard conference, which ought to be exciting if it ever happens. Wait, healthcare is hard? Huh, who knew? And finally, we'll talk a little bit about rural healthcare hospitals and how we continue to deliver against that challenging environment. So first off this week, Craig, we're uh, talking about ChatGPT for a change, and it turns out that they've added voice recognition. So now you can talk to your AI system and that uh, large language model that is stream a, a sense of streaming consciousness. Have you tried it? I, I have not tried it, but I have a colleague who uh, did try it and sent me an audio recording of it. And it was it was uh, scary. Um, it's not instantaneous. I will say you you have to give it a few seconds to ponder what you've said and to respond. And the the um, the the user experience is that you can kind of see it thinking because it makes a little. It's got a little circle and it kind of gets bigger see, and smaller. Wait, wait, you can see Chat GPT thinking. Absolutely. What does it look like? It's it's <laughs> is a it, circle. Is it there with the uh, fist of the uh, no the hands? No, it's simply a circle. Obviously, you don't know anything about computers, uh, but uh, when a computer thinks, it's a circle, and it gets big when it's thinking big thoughts and small when it's thinking small thoughts. We all know this, Doctor Nick. I'm not sure why you're asking these questions, um, but it it has. Yeah, I, I suspect you can change the voice. Um, you definitely. Uh, can oh, please it- let that be the case. Just to be clear, if nobody has found this, in case you haven't, and it's not there at the moment, they took it away again. But Waze comes with an opportunity to customize the directions with Arnold Schwarzenegger as the Terminator. <laughs> Okay, that's awesome. And it, it is like the best thing. I actually like going for a drive and and calm right down. The, the speed trap ahead. Speeding would be ill-advised, as that's, he says. No, that's good. <laughs> that that's was not good. bad, right? <laughs> I, I've configured my map uh, as a, a woman with a British accent uh, based on oh, my- because based of on, me. A hundred percent based on my work with you, because uh, you're always giving me directions. And so I thought, let's just complete the whole thing. 
<laughs> and just have this person give me uh, directions with a British accent. Yet I digress. We were yes. talking about I'm interacting sorry. with chat, chat GPT. <laughs> and so, um, you know, you can ask it a question and it thinks about it for a second and then it gives you an answer and it can talk quickly or it can talk slowly. And um, just like with uh, the chat GPT on the computer or the app, uh, you can continue to, the conversation uh, back and forth, asking it to be more specific or less specific. It's, so it's, 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 it's got to speed things up. I mean, you know, we've already got speech. I mean, I spent my uh, almost a, a big part of my career, let's be clear, on this speech and speech enablement. And, you know, despite that, I have to say that I forced my kids to learn touch typing, and it was probably the best thing <laughs> that I ever did for them because I, I don't think we're ever going to reply. Well, maybe we will, but I, I always struggle with the idea of this sort of, you know, keeping it private when you wanted to have a an interaction with technology, you couldn't do that with speech because, you know, potentially people are listening. But there are solutions to that, including a little microphone you can put next to your tooth and then you can talk very quietly. Yeah. And it can still pick it up. Um, but it, it I, 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 I guess I'm a little bit disappointed to hear that there's this delay because for me, that's uh, it's just adding to the pain and agony of this if you've got to wait for things if there's the spinning ball or whatever it is in this instance there was at least in the in the initial uh version that i saw and i do want to correct you um we don't call it typing we call it keyboarding and i oh I just, oh oh another one of those phrases you've yeah been, i mean these are things you old people such as yourself seem to have i'm not really sure what typing is um because i am young and a um in whatever the the youngest generation is that's the generation don't give me this youngest generation that was that's exactly what your british guide would tell you on your map service that's typing that's what we do in england it's the same as i go to physio i don't go to pt and i i got dinged for that this morning when i went to physio and they said what well, what's that <laughs> yeah and this is why your country's uh, number 2 to america but i but I digress. Oh, we're um, number two to South Africa in the rugby, but that's a whole other story that's been <laughs> I've been moaning about. <laughs> We've really got not in the finals. We've really digressed here. We yes, have let's get like back on seriously track. digressed. <laughs> yes. We were talking about Chat ChatGPT. You can interact with it, uh, and now you can send pictures to it and ask yep. it questions. Um, so I was just looking at that too. You could say, Hey, help me fix my bike. And it, and it will give you, um, uh, uh, some guidance about that. And, um, Hey, here's a picture of the manual and here's a picture of my tools. Do I have everything that I need? It's scary smart. Yeah. I, I think one of the things that I saw that was kind of interesting was, uh, there was somebody that decided to send it into a, 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 a massive loop. Uh, that was essentially, can we ask it to look at an image, describe the image, then pass that off to Dali E, and then it just went into this never-ending spinning set of uh, constant, um, you know, uh, refining, going back and forwards, uh, you know, creates all sense of these wonderful opportunities, I think, you know, continuing expansion, very exciting. I think the more that we add to this, the more that we sort of enable this, the more people can experiment. And I, I have regular conversations with people who are saying they try it for um, this feature um, in, in a particular example I heard earlier was, can you take a, a very complex 
challenging physics uh, paper and describe it in layman's terms. And it does a really effective job. And I hadn't thought about that. But, you know, there are sometimes I read things and I think, gosh, I don't fully understand that. It would be nice if somebody could explain it to me. Like I used to have people that were able to do that. And, you know, so there's all these opportunities. So I think, again, I've got to say, if you're not trying it, just go and mess around, play with this stuff. It's imperfect, but it does some amazing things. Um, moving on, let's talk a little bit about this new blood test that I think we saw being uh, pushed out as a potential uh, diagnostic test for children with fever. Now, you're a pediatrician. You've seen one or two kids with fever. In fact, I imagine that's probably the um, primary challenge for uh, any pediatrician. When you see a kid with fever, um, what do you do? Well, um, you know, the, the first thing that, that we're trying to do is try to figure out how sick the patient is. Um, curiously, it's not what many people would think, which is what does the patient have? But how sick are you? Do you look ill like you need to go to the hospital or are you running around? If you're a kid, are you running around the exam room uh, getting into trouble? Because I um, parents may not like kids running around the exam room at the pediatricians, but the pediatricians actually love that. Do, right. Uh, we love that because that means that is someone who is not that sick. Um, but at some point, you got to figure out, okay, is this something that I can... Um, so now we figured out maybe they're not that sick that they have to go to the emergency room, but they're still, um, you know, can we do something for them? And then we're breaking it down into two big uh, categories generally of infectious disease. Um, is it a bacterium or or is it a virus? And uh, bacterium we can often fix. Think about strep throat and antibiotics. And a virus we cannot. Think about colds and um, even the flu. Uh, and so sometimes we have some medicines that can help for viruses, but that's the big kind of category is, hey, is this something that's bacterial or is it viral? Now, of course, you can get fever for reasons that are not based on infection. Um, I'm going to put that aside for now and just kind of worry about the things that are caused by by um, uh, by viruses and, and bacteria. And so to have a test, and, and certainly we have blood tests. We've had blood tests for decades and decades that push us in a direction. Hmm. So I can order a complete blood count. I can look at your white blood cells, your total count, and then look at what kind of white blood cells are there. Do you have more of the white blood cells that fight viruses or more that fight generally bacteria? And that will give us a clue. It will push us in a direction, but it doesn't definitively tell us what you have. And so a, a blood test that could... Um, um, help much more quickly with much higher probability would be very would be great, right? Because if you have uh, if you have a virus, and if I don't have anything, um, if a that virus is generally self limited, meaning you're going to get over it without without my help, and b I don't have anything anyway that just fixes that virus, then um, it's really not that big of a deal, and we're just going to treat it with some some uh, you know fever medicine and 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 time tincture of time. And so if, if there's a blood test, which now there is, well, at least there's some research around that can uh, point us in the right direction uh, faster with higher probability of being correct, that is a, that's a game changer. I, I just have to say, I couldn't shake the image from my head of uh, Dr. Craig Joseph sitting in his surgery, delighted with kids causing total and utter chaos around him because he's sitting there going, oh, they're okay. They're not really sick. I <laughs> I don't I, mind that they tear my office apart. <laughs> I 
I had a, uh, I'll tell you this one quick, <laughs> this one quick story. Um, this mom brought in her, I don't know how, maybe three or four year old child. And she was clearly very, very worried about this child. And he hadn't been feeling well and had some kind of diffuse, uh, you know, not great. Didn't tell us exactly what was, what was going on. And I said to her, you know, uh, this seems to me, I think this is a, a stomach flu. I don't think it's, it's dangerous. She was thinking the child was very sick. I thought, well, you know, stomach flu is going around. I've been seeing a lot of stomach flu. I think this is probably stomach flu. And she said, well, it can't be stomach flu. And I said, well, why is that? And she said, well, he's had some loose stools, but he hasn't thrown up. So it's, it, it can't be stomach flu. And as I was telling her, like, well, you don't, you don't have to have throwing up and diarrhea to have stomach flu. Um, the child just started throwing up all over the place. And, and <laughs> I knew I mean, that's right. In you the middle, going. right? Yeah. In the middle of my conversation and, you know, got all over her, got all over the table, even got, uh, he got me on my shoes. I think so right. my shoes had some, <laughs> and, and she was of course, uh, not of course, but she was horrified and kept apologizing. And I kept like almost jumping up and down. I said, see, see, see right. it was a stomach I was right. I was right. And uh, uh, I think she thought I was trying to be nice but I was not trying to be nice. No, I was no. absolutely <laughs> ecstatic that I called stomach flu and she didn't believe me. And then proof came from this child. So and, yeah, uh, I, as the three-year-old leaves the office, you give him a high five. Nice yeah, job, buddy. Absolutely. <laughs> right there. Absolutely. Make Dr. Joseph look smart. <laughs> Hold it up for me. Absolutely. Sorry. Very cool. So anyway, the, the good news is that, you know, potentially you can add some additional data. I think, you know, we're always looking for definitive as opposed to, hey, I think this I, you know, let's wait for this child to vomit on my shoes to be sure that they, you know, actually confirm conditions. So I think, you know, some good news in uh, developments of tests, not that we need more and more testing, but, you know, it just adds to the conference. So. Well, what's but what's really fascinating about this is it's actually not looking for the virus or the bacteria, right? Mm. It's it's actually looking at genes and right. try and saying, well, well, we've tested enough, you know, patients that we know that when you have strep throat, these genes seem to be turned on and these genes seem not to be turned on. And if they can get you know, uh, so basically, we're like, well, we don't see, we don't even aren't, we aren't even really looking for for the um, the bacterium that causes strep throat. We're looking at gene expression that seems to be associated with the bacteria that causes strep throat. It's it's, it's a very different way of of trying to figure out what's going on. Yeah, and you know, side note of a little bit of science here, I, I, that whole epigenetics is absolutely fascinating because. You know, at one point, certainly in my career, we you are a product of your genes. This is how life will unfold. You know, we it was a bit of this Gattaca kind of uh, world that we lived in. And then, you know, slowly this sort of emergence of, no, 95% of the uh, genome that we've sequenced isn't actually junk, as it used to be called, but actually does something. And it turns out it's all this epigenetics or the expression and, you know, I just I think much like the brain, we're only scraping the surface of what's possible here, and we're going to find more and more of these biomarkers, um, you know, that come. Uh, and I I hope we don't sort of descend into Gattaca. I, if you're familiar with that movie, with the uh, you know, test your blood, this is where you end up. It's you know, a bit of a brave new world type of. Uh, uh, approach. I, I don't think that's where we're going. I think it's you aren't a product of your genes. You can change it, but it can inform things. So I, I think pretty cool. So 
That's good news. Um, moving on, alternative healthcare conference um, uh, that was suggested by uh, Chrissy Farr, who uh, I think many listeners might know. Uh, she was a longtime reporter. Now I think she's a, a venture uh, investor of sorts. Um, and interestingly, she was at one of the conferences I was at. Uh, she, you know, continues to post and, you know, obviously her, uh, uh, publication routes still play out. She posts a lot of material and is struggling with the healthcare system and, you know, not to, to laugh at that sort of unfortunate experience, but, you know, it's one of the points that I make on a regular basis. I wish people would understand, you know, Keep trying to fix the business of healthcare as if your life depended on it, because one day soon it will. And she was struggling with the healthcare system and struggled with this whole healthcare conference and actually came up with uh, a big list of uh, potential panels and content for uh, a an alternative healthcare summit, uh, summit or conference called Health is Hard, H-I-H, she called it, uh, with a bunch of panels. Did you take a look? What did you think? I thought that she's right, that that health is hard. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I think it is. It's actually, um, you know, we've talked about it and others talk about it, how it's almost it's it's almost unbelievable um, how difficult uh, and, and how broken the healthcare system in in air quotes is in the United States. And and um, oftentimes people, they can't appreciate it until they live it. And and young people often don't live it until um either something happens with them or potentially with their their parents um and so i i think yeah as 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 we age and and start needing services and then discovering that yeah it's one thing if i think i have strep throat or mono or sinus infection you know that's one thing but now um i'm delivering a baby uh, or i am diagnosed with a you know a heart problem and that's a completely different thing and trying to you know work through the system that we have with the with the various insurance companies and and various healthcare systems and how they all interact it's um it's it's awe inspiring and 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 awe in a bad way not a good way so yeah she very quickly seemingly came up with a long list of things of of uh, most of the sentences begin with why you know <laughs> why <laughs> yes, why is prior right. authors her, her very first one why is prior authorization still a thing when everyone hates it and uh i agree chrissy why is that um i mean i think i know the answer but uh um uh and i think there are solutions but we're we're moving slowly towards some of them but yeah some of these things we understand why they are some of them made complete sense in the 50s and 60s when they were set up yet they're still with us and um a lot of the craziness has to do with money shockingly yes. shockingly are you it sitting does. down did yep. you faint I, no? thankfully no i'm okay I'm carefully sat down considering that list and you know obviously the money and and to be clear even in systems that nominally are free to be clear it's never free um you know take one of the extremes which you know was the system that i grew up in the nhs and i always bristled when people said oh it's free it it, it isn't it's free at the point of service but you are paying for it somebody is paying for it it comes out and even in that system you know i'm i'm watching it carefully at the moment because it seems to be just unfolding in a terrible 
terrible way over there. So they certainly don't have the answers. Uh, you know, I, I've I've heard people. I've certainly had pushback because obviously I open my mouth, they hear English, British accent. Oh my God, he wants the NHS here. That's what you know. That's my sole purpose in life, and it really wasn't. Um, but. Even if it was, that wouldn't be the answer because you only have to look over there to see that it, it's actually not working. And in fact, it seems to have declined significantly, uh, causing major problems. So I, I'd like to see that conference. I think my only pushback against it is I, I don't know that we need another conference. What we actually need is a, a group of people to actually fix these things. And some of them feel relatively easy. Um you know, why are retail pharmacies still selling candy and cigarettes? Good question. And I think it was, I want to call out CVS. I think I'm right in saying, weren't they the ones that stood up against cigarettes, to be clear? I mean, that 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 just seemed easier than any of the other things. Candy might be a little bit difficult because, you know, a lot of kids and whatever, but cigarettes just seemed really easy. And they did. They stood up and you know, and I don't think they've suffered for it. I don't, I don't recall, but that seemed like a, anytime I say this, a brave decision that always seems like it was a, <laughs> it it wasn't so good, but I, I think it was a brave decision and, you know, all credit to them. I'm sure I've beaten up on CVS at some point, but you know, Hey, they did the right thing there. And that's just one of the things rather than using this as a conference, use this as a to-do list. Who could we hand it over to? <laughs> Well, get the right people in the room, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, and and then everything has to be um, feasible, right? So, CVS. I think you're right. It was CVS who said we're not going to have cigarettes, um, and they didn't go out of business, and they seem to still be making some money, and so that's economically feasible. Um, but other things may not be. And mm. I think you gave candy and I think you blame children as a pediatrician. I'm going to fight against <laughs> that. Uh, I eat oh, there was no blame involved. I, just I they eat wanted. candy and I'm an I adult. Do <laughs> Darn it. I'm not going to have you say bad things about children and candy. Doctor. I am a cat. I am an addict. I uh, no question. I'm a sugar addict. It's awful. It's Fair. awful. <laughs> there you go. Now I, I feel, I think, do you feel better saying no. it out? Unfortunately <laughs> not, because I, I'm going to reach for some in a short, short, hot second right here. So, uh, no. <laughs> all right. That's fair. All right. Well, so uh, all good. So um, uh, let's quickly cover off this um, uh, set of hospitals, the Appalachia hospitals that uh, were featured. There was uh, a piece that talked about this. You know, they were purchased. Um, and, you know, there was some offer of actually delivering on care. There seems to be a lot of pushback. Uh, there was a piece about this. Uh, it, it's not quite as simple as that, right? Yeah, well, it's it's um, there's no easy answers, right? So what was happening and what's happened in multiple states is that smaller, typically rural, but not always hospitals, um, per our previous conversation, can't make money. Uh, they just can't deal with the healthcare system. And so they are at risk of, of closing, just closing their doors. And uh, what can happen is, um, is larger healthcare systems say, well, we'll, we'll buy that hospital. And, and, but typically the state or the federal government would say, no, you can't buy that. You've already got a bunch of hospitals in the area. If you, if you buy these two hospitals that are at risk of failing, then you'll, you'll be the only game in town. You'll have absolutely no competition. We can't allow that. And so then the question is, well, which is better to have competition, or I'm sorry, to have no competition 
or to close these hospitals. And and um, if you believe that would happen, and it certainly happened enough, so that to me it's believable. And right. I don't think I don't think there's a right answer. So what some would have ha- would have happened in some states is they've given permission for hospitals for healthcare systems to buy hospitals, acknowledging that now they have created a monopoly essentially. And and said, well, we'll allow you to buy this hospital if you promise to do a bunch of things, uh, maintain you know the health of the community, give um, charitable care, uh, you know, don't price gouge those kinds of things. And and some people are calling them on it and saying, well, you you promised to do these things, you haven't done some of these things, and um, and that's an that's an issue. And I I don't I don't I see both sides. I don't know what the the right answer is. There is no right answer. It's really which less bad option do you want? And I think typically, if I were just, if all else was equal, the bad option I would want is the hospital to stay open, but become part of a monopoly. That seems to me better than shutting the hospital down. Yeah, there's another good reason for that. I mean, not only in terms of delivering the healthcare services, but quite often it's one of the biggest employers in some of these communities. And, you know, it shuts down. And that's not just the death of the hospital, that's the death of the community, everything, the the whole place just sort of withers on the vine. And, you know, they're a central tenant to these things. Maybe it can't exist in quite the same uh, space. I I agree with you. These things are just generally hard to uh, decide on. I mean, it's just like delivering healthcare. When you have a cancer diagnosis, it's not as simple as, oh, hey, we'll just do X or Y. We have to weigh up all the pros and cons. We're not always very good at sort of weighing up the risk reward elements of this. And, you know, it's individualized in many cases. And unfortunately, in the case of a rural hospital, it's not individualized. It's for the community. And then there's different competing interests and people have different views. And um, but I think, you know, thinking about this in a balanced way is uh, uh, absolutely essential. Um, So. Uh, Good points. Unfortunately, we find ourselves at the end of another episode, uh, exploring healthcare's mysteries before they become your emergencies. Until next time, I'm Dr. Nick. And I'm Dr. Craig. 